You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pot seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. Pull out your Hugo Award nomination ballot and add the Functional Nerds podcast to your best fan cast selections. Once you have done this, the airlock will seal and life support systems will engage. We hope you enjoy and survive your trip to the Functional Nerdverse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just thinking it's it's uh, it's been a long time. We have we have a whole so so that's wonderful, and I love that, and I love that you you wrote that up. and And this is the last opportunity, pretty much, it is. before it is. the nomination ends for people to be able to nominate great podcasts like ours. But I was just thinking, our guest heard the new theme song maybe for the first time because I don't know if he listens to the podcast or not. But the, it's like it's been a long time since it's you know dun 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 dun. Dun, dun. very kind of mellow yeah, yeah, and now we've got yeah. this rocking tune going out so <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is kind of uh this is like functional nerds coming full circle here and it's sort of fun for me to to be on board for it because not to make things weird in any way but i'm going to make things weird but i have like a giant intellectual crush on max gladstone's writing <laughs> and have for years and so it's a ridiculous pleasure for me to have max gladstone on max how are you I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on the show again for the first time in low these many eons. I know, right? It's a it's it's we're, it's a whole new world, as it were, and it's a whole new a series whole new for you. World, or do we need yeah. to do we need to pay somebody for that now? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, on, depends on how much of it you use. Yeah, I think I'm going to stop okay. you there All because right. the yeah the Patreon budget's only going to cover so many lawsuits. <laughs> And by so many lawsuits, I mean none, none lawsuits. <laughs> none lawsuits. No, yes, no, I understand. Yeah. I had this, I had this experience <laughs> for the first time uh, writing Last Exit, actually. Um, so, uh, which is the book that's, uh, I think, actually out the release day of of this yes, podcast on this very day. Believe it or not, Last Exit hit your local friendly bookstore or unfriendly bookstore, and yeah, but they're still <laughs> local. Yeah, they're still local. Again. It's good. Yeah. All that money goes back into your economy somehow. And buy yourself a copy of Last Exit. Uh, that's 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 about as much shill as I've got in me for the moment. Uh, but so this is usually I I'm, I'm given a writing in you know fantastical or deeply science fictional landscapes. And for once I was dealing in Last Exit with characters who are pretty close to our lived reality, more or less on a day-to-day basis. It's set in a world that looks an awful lot like our world. And in a world that looks awful. In a world. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Need the trailer voice in here. So so for uh, once I had characters who were talking more or less like the characters I know in real life, like the people I know in real life talk, which means for us, like just a ton of quotes all the mm-hmm. damn time, yeah. song lyrics and, you know, locating yourself by media. And I ran straight into the glass wall of rights. Glass wall of finagling. no. Yeah. yeah you know, when, when, <laughs> when that came out, it's really frustrating. It's, I'm, I'm used to just being angry that I have to capitalize dumpster. And, and this, 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 this is like, oh, God. This character has really, you know, this, this song is very important for this character's experience. And like, why not? And so people walked me through, of course, all of the various fair use limits and, and, and counter issues and, and, and rights issues. And then I thought back to great song moments, great musical moments that I could think of in other fiction. And 
than how they sort of tiptoed around the yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my favorites being how they don't actually ever say follow the yellow brick road at the end of Hyperion. They just spend a, two pages talking around the, <laughs> there, the fact that they're all singing road. follow the yellow brick road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so yes, all right. No, no lawsuits for for you or me or anyone. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, or the solution is you become Sarah Pinsker and you just develop all of your own music and mm. carry that around, and that definitely is easier. Of course, True. that's easier, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the John M. <laughs> Ford approach. Uh, you know, step one: just be really brilliant at songwriting, and then step two: just write all of your own songs for everything. You, you know, and, it's 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 funny because you 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 brought to mind two things. One is Ready Player One. Oh, uh, yeah, right. And when they tried to make the, the movie, or when they did make the movie, I haven't actually finished the movie. I got bored really, really quickly with it. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. But oh, wow. I, I enjoyed the book when it came out, but uh, mm-hmm. they couldn't get the rights to everything that he mentioned in the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, they, they just not. couldn't, you know, to do the, yeah. the, the movies. But uh, the other one is Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. Mm, which I haven't seen yet. Is that good? It is it really, really, really good. It is really, really good. And there's a point towards the end where he gets to use two separate licensed things from other movies. And I'm trying not to spoil it because you haven't seen it, but <laughs> right. it blew me away because I was like, how the hell? Right. How, how did he get <laughs> them to agree to let him use those two particular things it's and the music of- that went with them? Like, how, how much money did he spend? <laughs> this conversation makes me think, like, there's really two levels we're talking about kind of geeking out about when media gets referential to other media. There's the level yeah. at which we're like, oh, I get that. And, like, I see why that's there from an aesthetic or a narrative standpoint or whatever. Yeah, I understood and then, that reference. Right, yeah. exactly. It's the, it's the Captain America thing. And then the other bit of it is where from, like, the meta level of what mm. we know about how media works, we're like – Oh my God! Can you imagine? <laughs> like, like, and so it's it's sort of hilarious. It, 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 and like, it's very hard to actually get to the point. And maybe now that pop culture yeah. properties are so interlaced and referential, and who owns what is really a piece of like nerd currency in 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 a way that at least and what I don't remember it being when I was thirteen. I don't know if it would be for a current thirteen year old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. When I was 17. When I was, it was a very good. You, well, this is the thing, you know, you start throwing a, anyway. Uh, well, I used to, I used to just speak in pop culture and they, right, they speak, yeah. they speak in cultural reference and, and in, in like half quoted song lyrics. And it's just very strange trying to write humans who don't do that, who don't also live in a place where there are like elves or something. Yes. Right. I used to play f- fast and loose with the, with the fair use stuff on mm-hmm. the show. I really did. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've dialed it back because some of the platforms that, that actually people use to get the podcast, mm. right? Not just iTunes. The other platforms that people use to get the podcast have stricter rules about what you can and can't include oh, that I think goes against fair play, right? Fair mm, use. I can see that. Yeah, right. And sure. so, so it's interesting. I, I remember in, in my book, I put, a, I put some references because the ca- main character, I, I tried to make her different from me in a lot of different ways. And one of them was that she loves disco and I fucking hate <laughs> disco. So, well, that's very big of you. Yeah. To... So I'm looking at disco stuff and I'm doing quotes of disco stuff and people are going, well, you can't do that. You can't have quotes right. from disco songs. I'm like, well, I can have a quote from a disco song. I can't do the whole fucking song. I can do a little bit of it. Like I can have a quote. I can have one line. I can have this and the, no, 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 you're going to get sued. No, 
there's fair use. You can, you, to your point, like you can have a little bit, you can say that dancing queen came on the radio when she turned the mm-hmm. car on. Yeah. You can say that. No, no, no. You you're going to get that. sued. No, I'm mm-hmm. not. Abba's not going to come after me for saying dancing queen came on the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I so do. Just, I do believe you might get in trouble if you then had like an intersected quote section where it was yes. just the dancing queen, dancing queen, dancing. Yeah. Queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's weird how these legal systems uh, affect like it's it's easy to say distort but that's as if like we ever live in a non-biased environment if we ever live in an environment that's not sort of structured by what's possible to say and what's possible to say about whom but i think i think uh it, it does shape the sort of literature that gets made that you can very easily and without annoying anyone getting into any legal trouble I guess is what I'm trying to say, really. Yeah. Uh, do a Don DeLillo thing where you spend a whole chapter listing off brand names of things that you buy in a grocery store, but you can't have a character sing a verse from Graceland. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, it's that's a weird set of conditions to place on uh, the cultural commons or, or on sort of depictions of what modern life is like. You, you actually make it harder to show people using the art that they love and, and feeling their way through it in that way and make it much easier to show the sort of plastic action figuriness of everything. Yeah. I guess if the art were a vehicle for the capitalism of the products, then I can mm-hmm. envision a situation where people sort of wave that away, right? Yeah, right. But because it's not, because the art <laughs> is serving a different purpose and sort of like making the verisimilitude of this world function and all of that, people are like, mm, oh, no, I don't know. And I guess, you know, for getting back to last exit here, it's the start of, of a new enterprise for you. It's a very different type of book in a lot of ways from what you've done. And I think one of the things that this whole talk about like how do characters communicate with each other, the awareness of the world that they have and how their world is very much like our own goes to this idea of it kind of intersecting with American myth. Like one of the comps that's come up with it is American gods. And it it sort of makes me wonder like for for you what are some of the things especially as an american like you're not coming at this from the neil gaiman sort of outsider on the inside angle but that someone yeah. who has grown up sort of uh marinating in this stuff what are some of the sort of american mythos where you're like oh if i could take the tools of fantasy and dark fantasy and horror to this what could i do that made you want to do this well it, that's a really good question that's what she gets paid for <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard to unpick the, the the roots of the thing. I grew up traveling. You know, my parents were prep school teachers, which in my universe meant that we didn't have a lot of cash money. We, uh, you know, lived in school housing and ate at the dining hall and all that kind of stuff. But what we did have an awful lot of was time. So once my sister and I were old enough for something like this to be practical, uh, we'd head out in the summers for months at a time. Uh, we'd pack up our Plymouth and, uh, you know, have some books and some instruments and uh, a lot of, like, cheap bulk, uh, you know, rice aroni yeah. and uh, camp stove and, and head out west or, or sort of or, or northwest. Did some staying on people's couches, old friends, my parents from school, um, and some camping and campgrounds and a lot of sea in the country. And that really worked its way pretty deep into me. That was sort of 
I got really used to feeling the road in, in that way, even as a kid. And, uh, you know, oddly growing up, uh, sort of as an adult, I've never had that big road experience in the U.S. anyway. If, it, for me, it's all a lot of my travel was abroad. When I was living in China, I'd spend a lot of time train hopping and, and I've traveled around Europe a little bit with my wife. But the country for me is still that big, strange dream that I was putting together yeah. as as I was a kid, seeing it all uh, really for the first time and seeing it the long way. Mm-hmm. I, before I went to college, I'd maybe been on an airplane three times in my life. And since then, um, both because it's, you know, I, I don't drive all that much on a day-to-day basis and because, you know, my wife's family's out in LA and the uh, couple hours, uh, the, the couple of days basically of drive from uh, Massachusetts is a little much for a family vacation. <laughs> a lot of my travel is sort of airplane bound. So, yeah. so you were leaving on a jet plane? Yeah, exactly. Don't know when I'll be back again. And, and exactly. there you get this feeling like everything's destinations. Like you're, you're sort of stepping into one strange tube uh, or, or this sort of time tunnel and then you step out the other end. Um, but the dream for me was always that that sort of unfolding, just following 80 for yeah. 15 hours at a time and seeing the seeing the land change and seeing how much of it there was and how different it was, mm-hmm. you know, from county to county, state to state. Yeah. See, that's really so interesting. That's really yeah. that, That's really interesting for me because I've, I've grown up in the Midwest. Uh, I live outside of Chicago and have spent most of my life there, except for the the small part of my life where I was I was in Ireland for college. And, City of um, broad shoulders. Indeed. And so... I have always sort of heard the narrative from folks of thinking of the vastness of the United States as flyover country, and then later Mm -hmm. in their life having the experience of going from place to place in a different way and making these sort of discoveries of the ways that it's surreal and gorgeous and absurd and, and mysterious all at once. We're, but you're describing really the reverse experience that you were sort of yeah. immersed in that surreality and and the wonder and the sort of the the endlessness of it early, and then later in your life we're sort of like kind of got pulled away from it just by the yeah. the, the the vagaries of life, and so the yeah, the book is know, returning you there in a way, and I think that's a situation that a lot of the characters are into. I mean, I grew up in I guess what you'd call flyover country, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one stoplight town literally on the top of a mountain in Tennessee, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I think the longest stretch of time I spent in one place was uh, Willoughby, Ohio, which is kind of an exurb of Cleveland right up near Lake Erie. Yeah. And so, so, so not like Powder River, Kansas, but, or Nebraska, I guess, but, uh, you know, not, not like New York City. And for me, right. coming north for college was this feeling of, oh, all of a sudden there's this language that uh, people speak, They're a, a language of places and of schools and genealogies and all that stuff that uh, is very foreign to my experience, really feels like entering a kind of alien landscape. So, so yeah, bo- I both kind of grew up in that space and came to know the country that way, or at least know it in the way that a child knows it. You, you, you experience yeah. the big thing and you kind of try to wrap it into your head and figure out what happens, but you also see it as a child. And yeah. you don't have, I mean, at least I didn't at the time have a lot of the historical context for what I was seeing, which in a way means that you get to meet the mountains first. That's that's a wonderful thing. You get to sort of stand in the shadow of those huge trees. Mm-hmm. 
Which which mountain? But it also means which mountain did you live on in Tennessee? So Monte Eagle Mountain, which is a sort of plateau, really, as part of the Cumberland Plateau. Gotcha. Yeah, if you're if you're uh, basically if you're going from the from the northern Midwest down towards Florida, you have to go over it because 24 you end up on 24 and 24 has to hop over the plateau, but you yep. never you blink and you miss it really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great views though, excellent bluff country. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I only uh, ask because I, I lived in the shadow of Lookout Mountain down in Chattanooga. Oh, okay, years. yeah, yeah, yeah. We that's that's that's. That's great. Sherry Priest used to live down there, right yes, about that did. area, yep. didn't she? Yep. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, excellent. Good times. <laughs> we were about sort of forty-five minutes north of you guys on twenty-four. Then. Yeah. Um, okay. Is that? It, that's not considered the Cumberland Gap, though. That's up. Uh, no, no, no. Well, the Cumberland Gap is the gap in the Cumberland Plateau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's up further, further from where we were. Is that? Because I think Johnson the Cumberland Gap is up in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So the Cumberland Plateau sort of is. Uh, this is where my old geography is starting to fail me. Uh, but the Cumberland Plateau is sort of north-south running, basically. And yeah, it goes up yeah. through Kentucky and then down through Tennessee and sort of peters out down into, into mountains down around where you guys were. Um, but yeah, a lot of – go up in flat lands. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm not going to – not gonna lie, I've got a head start on last exit because the okay. audiobook dropped already. Yes, and so yeah. I'm on it. Excellent. <laughs> you're the you're in the in the in that brief window. Audible yes, realized yes, what had happened and then they I'm shut that down. But happily, yeah, I'm glad you still got it. Canary carried into the cage in the darkness and all the stuff. And so the thing that that I'm excited about in uh, so far, at least where I am in the book, is one of my favorite tropes, which of course you've got a very Max Gladstone spin on here, is the kind of getting the band back together story. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think like we've seen in recent years, like uh, with Nicholas Eames and Kings of the Wild and things like that, mm. there's there's definitely a lot of love. You're literally that. getting that's, the band back together. Right. right. <laughs> like like that's that's absolutely about the party and the sort of like Dungeons and Dragons adventure. But here we've got, you know, survivors of a war, survivors of a conflict that didn't yield what they needed and have been sort yeah. of scattered their separate ways and things. And I'm sort of, I'm wondering like for you, what's the, what's the excitement of the, of the tropes and the things like, what are, what are sort of like your candy tropes? What are the things where you're like, I, I want to pull at these threads and bring them together because I like what they make happen in my stories. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a, that's fair. Um, it feels a little less for like a candy for me, mm-hmm. at least at the core of any story, than it does uh, like a sore spot that you can't stop prodding. You, you start wondering <laughs> okay, what's yeah. going on there, right? Yeah. Like uh, this is a weird the, bruise, huh? Yeah, yeah. Where where did this come from, or why can't I raise my arm without this this clicking? You start asking yourself, okay, well, so what happened? How did how how does this unspin? The 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 joy is in figuring it out and following these people as they try to figure it out in a, in a kind of contained fashion it, or it, maybe to put it another way and really being able to ask these questions mm-hmm. head on in a prolonged way. So as far as getting the band back together, I mean, in, in last exit, we have some, so we open with, uh, with, we open with Zelda, our sort of main character, who, who used to be in this extremely tight group of friends who, back when they were at school together, found a way to kind of slip into, hitch into other realities, other mm-hmm. other sort of dark reflections of the As country. As one does. 
as one as does, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that maybe we might not have all that exact experience, but I think it's not uncommon to find people and find a, a different world with them. Yeah, there's a metaphor really there. Yeah. It, you know, there's something like that going on. And they set out to try to change the world or save it. And it, and they kind of broke apart. Things didn't go the way they'd hoped. And I think that's also an experience that many of us have or, or can kind of feel our way around. We know that our possibilities feel like they're narrowing. We're not entirely certain how the world that we are in fits together. Some of the things that we wanted to happen in our lives haven't yet or, or, or did. And then we had to deal with the fallout from that. Um, you get what you want and then you pay for it. Right. Yeah. And so these are characters who are dealing with that reality and that, that resonates with me. It's um, I, I like to, I really engage when I read a book that feels like it's talking about something that is that is real, that has like a, a real weight to it. And and I guess to the extent that there's candy in it, that's that's the candy. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh yes, okay, I that's there. That that's a that's a thing that is that's a thing that is real. That's a question that's deep enough to be worth asking. Let's go for it. See yeah, what happens. Yeah. I think for me, I love the getting the band back together as a as a key point in a narrative because implicit in that is something broke the band apart. Right. So sure. you've got that that sore spot, that clicking in the shoulder that you're talking about that you have to address in some way. But how you pace yeah. it and how that baggage or that wound or whatever kind of like analogy you want to use there relates to the current events of the narrative is is gonna vary. You know, we mm -hmm. may never get the full narrative of it when you have these different characters, their experience of what broke the group apart and what failed in the first place is intrinsically different, right. and maybe in some ways not to be reconciled. And I think not just in the sense that hopefully we all have a chance to make a connection to some people who we feel like we get to explore different things with. They, they are mm -hmm. passage into another world, right? Literal or otherwise. But most of us, I think, also have that experience of having had a connection with some person or persons and something went wrong and we lost it. And yeah. it's it, and sometimes the thing that went wrong, you can't even quite pin down. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know. I, I think for me, I've been really excited uh, by listening to this first hour or two of, of Last Exit because um, how to put it? It feels really necessary to me on the level of in year two of a pandemic, there are definitely people who are, I still think of intellectually as being in my life, but yeah, emotionally right. there's been this, this distance that's been created by all of the, the everything that's been happening, right? Sure. I mean, people are not in the place that they were years ago. Um, yeah. And, and what does it look like when, when the day comes that we're able to be brought back together? You know, are we the same people, you know, when, also when true. we were broken apart? So. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, maybe a kind way of thinking about it is that, um, everybody grows up and changes yeah. but that experience of wanting things to be the same as it always was um is is maybe also part of the problem mm -hmm. that you can't grab onto it and hold it even if you can appreciate past as something that was beautiful and real and necessary and alive for you in in that in that mm -hmm. instance yeah um and i think that's that's part of the 
pandemic experience too, right? Like yeah, yeah. that um, people's day to day needs, emotional, physical, and otherwise have changed a lot in this yeah. thing. And we're all, we've all spent two years sorting out what that's meant for us. And, and now that it looks like possibly conditions might be starting to ease up a little bit, then there's the question of how those adaptions are going to change. Are they going to continue to serve us? Yeah. We need to, yeah. Anyway. So yeah, you're, you're talking about kind of that almost something like nostalgia, like wanting to pull things back together, but wanting them to be the way they were. And Patrick, this is making me think of something I read this morning. And and I- Oh, the New York Times thing. Yeah. 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 The thing about the thing about how, so for those of you who, who are not, you know, in sync with, with where we are right now and, and to get you on the page with us. Not on the wavelength. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so the New York Times had an article that came out this morning. That's just one of those things that got pushed to my, to my inbox that the thrust of which was that we are entering a time period where media is explicitly catering to Gen Xers for nostalgia movement purposes, you know, for all of the sort of like revisitations of stories, reboots, look, it's the Matrix again, look, it's Veronica Mars again, look, it's all sorts of things again. They literally just two nights ago as we were recording, yeah, brought back Law and Order for season right. 21. <laughs> Which they were pushing during the Super Bowl, whose halftime show was, was basically yep. the lineup of my like middle school and high school dance <laughs> soundtracks, yep. right? And so I, I think there's something to be said here for, you know, this this the mythology of of our lives and like how we I don't know, Patrick, like what do you feel like do you feel like you're more vulnerable now to being gotten in the feels of nostalgia than you used to be? Is that yes. Okay. All right. So, and, and, example? And, and, well, I mean, it, it, to your point, like they they keep bringing back these things, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. they brought back the X Files. They did. When they did, they did, they yeah, did. You they know, did I'm bad at TV, seasons. so I have no idea. Yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> they did new seasons, and they brought back Scully and Mulder. Oh, I'm remembering that now. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So they yeah, did that. That. Was like, that was like 18 months ago, two years ago, or something. They 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 brought back rebooted the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, they have they have brought back all kinds of things, and they're and they they now have to a certain extent. So, you could say that like the Wheel of Time series that they did was a was a was, oh was yeah a for reboot, sure reboot right. Like I mean that sort of cultural property had its big efflorescence of currency in the nineties, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know in a way this Amazon Lord of the Rings thing is yeah, connecting to it's prestige television to to right, talk. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at specific things that like so so X Files. They brought back Punky Brewster. They did a they did what? Punky Brewster. Okay, yes. you you confused both of us there. They did what? <laughs> they they brought back Soleil Moon Fry, and she's oh. the adult Punky Brewster who adopts oh a kid. Gosh. Oh yes. wow! Okay, okay. It oh. lasted one season. Well, good for Soleil Moon Fry, you know. Like, I think yeah. it's on. I think it's on Peacock. So I don't know, but they they did one season. I don't think they're doing anymore. Oh, like Peacock uh, is where television this. goes to die. Like, it's, Fuller yeah. House. Right is a is right, an yeah. extension of Full House. They've now they're doing uh, How I Met Your Father on Hulu yeah. instead of How. Yeah, I Met is Your that Mother. actually in the in the thing, or is that a new continuity? Is that, it, is it, that... it's it's part of the universe? They're saying so. There's okay. callbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I'll believe it when their... Patrick Harris shows up. I guess. <laughs> Challenge accepted. And uh, I mean, they they are doing these things, right? They they mm-hmm. keep bringing these things back. There's the the uh, Roland Emmerich keeps threatening to do Stargate again, 
and, and yeah, like yeah. continue the movies, not the shows, which pisses off the fans of the shows. Look at Star Trek. Look at everything that Paramount and CBS are doing now that they've consolidated again and they own all the rights, movies and television, all in one house instead of it being split like it was for so long. Yeah. Now they're doing all this stuff. They just they just announced oh, there, was doing the dark, a fourth, there was the dark there was the dark crystal age of resistance. Dark not, crystal, true. Not they just well announced, enough to survive, but but good. Paramount just oh, yes. announced. They had J.J. Abrams doing do it at a Paramount uh, shareholders meeting that we're doing Star Trek for. It's going to come out in 2023. Guess who didn't know that? The cast. <laughs> what? None okay. of them. Okay. They said the entire original cast is coming back for Star Trek 4. None of the cast members knew anything about it. Oh, my and God. And they're like, well, I guess we're going to be making some money. I think this is one of the reasons why we should all be glad that we we focus our creative potential in fiction because our characters generally don't complain if we're like, no, you're in this. Like we're yeah, yeah. You're, you're you're back. Like they 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 can't like their agent can't pull out a contract and be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to figure out a, an elaborate way to shoot through the back of somebody's head and then overdub their lines from but, a previous. But, but episode. think about this: you don't really get reboots mm-hmm. in fiction. Only mm. one person that I can think of off the top of my head has actually done it, and that was Scalzi. Mm. Scalzi had some series, and I forget what it was, that he loved. It was something that he read. He was really sad that it never continued. He rebooted that sucker. Like, he got uh, the all fuzzies. the rights. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he rebooted it and did it. Like, but... But I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Tracy's fandom. You don't see somebody saying I'm gonna reboot the Chronicles of Amber. No shit. I mean, they haven't booted it to say nothing. Of, yeah, like I'm gonna I'm gonna rewrite that series. I'm gonna do it in yeah. in today's voice. They don't yeah. do that. Like people just it doesn't happen. You might get you might get uh, Sherlock Holmes. You might mm-hmm. get Frankenstein. You might get these these open license things. Sure, yeah. Written in new things, but people don't take. Uh, stories that were that were written in the seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, and say I'm going to redo that and and do it better. I think the better. closest we well, get the closest yeah, we sorry, get to ahead. that now is there's I think there are ways that writers today are putting themselves in conversation with those stories, and I think it comes out in some of their narrative choices and their aesthetic choices, and you see that in the kind of comp title splash language that's used to talk about what they've written, like it's. Jurassic Park meets this or whatever else, right? And so I think you're you're right yeah, and, in that there's not like an explicit grabbing of the property to say like, no, we're winding this back and we're going to do a relaunch. But I think that writers are trying to find their own way of negotiating with their nostalgia and their creativity. And there's also a rich tradition in science fiction of bringing past tropes and trope language and uh, and sure. conceptual, conceptual yeah the megatext forward, yeah. right? So you know now and for the last five or six years, I think we've been seeing people trying to figure out what cyberpunk does in the like late twenty in the late twenty nineteen. Yeah. What does it mean now? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and then so you've got. Uh, books like uh, the body scout that are trying to handle that in, in various ways. There've been a bunch of takes on the multiverse concept. Uh, you could think of old man's war Scalzi's first novel as I, I forget if he, I, I forget if he ever read, if he'd read forever war or before Haldeman, that or starship yeah. troopers. But um, uh, I think there's specifically a blog post out there where he talks about not having read one or the other of them. Um, but uh they're definitely um, in the air 
for those books. Yeah, sure. So, so things do come back around again on the guitar. And I, I guess my ish, main issue with the, uh, the, the New York Times uh, email that Tracy was mentioning earlier, <laughs> yeah. talking about like media is all nostalgia now. It's like, when has it ever not been though? Like I, I, the nineties, right? You know, my memory of the movies were on television. The, the, the movies that were being premiered when I was a kid were, uh, well, okay, so Star Trek The Next Generation Mm-hmm. literally was 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 out and in currency uh so that's the 30-year nostalgia cycle basically for when the original series went off the air yeah. uh the adams family had a movie franchise yeah. um and now you have the movie franchise that's rebooting the adams family movie franchise that was rebooting the adams family tv show the fugitive mm-hmm. which uh you know yeah, was actually a TV series, Jones, but, but harrison ford and tommy lee jones fugitive which became like the fugitive that i think most people of like about our age and younger are familiar with if they're familiar with it at all but of course uh, that's rebooting. riffing off of a 1960s television series that is these, right exactly yeah. and so it's I mean, you could go even further back from that, but, and this but, is me. But hold on, hold yeah. on. A lot of yeah. times, yeah. I, I, I think they are capitalizing on nostalgia, but at the same time, they're also doing these things so they don't have to pay somebody for a new idea. Well, that is true. Yes. They already have the licensing. They already have the rights. Mm-hmm. Something is still popular. Let's just do something with it and keep mm-hmm. it going. Well, they, they, they're so, and but I mean, I think the the thirty year nostalgia cycle, right, is is something that has been written about, and that makes a certain degree of sense for me. You have you remember things from when you were a kid, and then sure. eventually you have money, uh, and <laughs> can afford to buy stuff and take your own kids to things um, if you have them. So that, and also after about thirty years, you start really asking yourself some questions about like where do where did I come from. What am I? What were my formative experiences? Were they mm-hmm. texts? Were they adventures that I went on? Were they friendships? Were they big macro events that happened in my life? And I think that's the missing piece when we just purely talk about nostalgia. It's not just I recognize this thing, but mm-hmm. I'm really interested in who I was and what happens to bring me here right now. There, there's there's a, an investment in the present that is part of any deep uh, and sort of voyage into memory. And, and the question though is, is, is that nostalgia or is that fan service? Because you can look at Star Wars recently right. on television, right? Or streaming. Mm-hmm. And the things that hit really well and get talked about are the things that Filoni is involved with mm-hmm. that, that pays it back to fans, right? Yeah. It's it's the it's the use of some obscure troop transport that fifty kids bought or had their parents buy for them in, in the seventies or eighties that suddenly appears in the Mandalorian and people lose their shit and go oh my god that's the troop transport I remember that fucking thing blah 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 blah, blah. So, and they talk about it for ten years so maybe this is me being a little bit too naive. Uh, but it's, it's sort of where and I, I should probably also say before I say any of this, that if we're going to do picks of the week, we probably need to make that hard call now or not. Yes, yeah, we do. Oh, gosh, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, but, I, but I'll say to kind of tap off that idea, you could call that fan service or maybe cockeyed optimist that I am. You could say it's an example of writers who really know and care about their universe. Yeah. And who who are just wanting to kind of speak within the language that's already been created for their universe. And, and um, to Max's point, you know, like when you suddenly have money and you buy tons of <laughs> shit that you don't really need and you just have it collecting dust all over yes, your house. Yes, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, for for I, those of you out in Radioland, Patrick's <laughs> holding up a bunch of Funko Pops right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's give people recommendations of of things that will bring them new joys. Picks of the week. Patrick, do you want to go first? Sure. And Max, that's a holdout. That that is still an Elio doing that. So. <laughs> Speaking uh, of nostalgia. <laughs> Speaking of nostalgia. So my pick is kind of nostalgia-driven. Uh, uh, I, I ridiculously enjoyed The Legend of Vox Machina on Prime. I am someone who I have awesome. tried to listen to the podcasts of people playing D&D and RPGs. I have tried to watch the YouTube channels, and I, I have failed miserably. I cannot seem to get into them. You know, it's it, it's kind of like sitting around the table. People are sitting around the table playing a game, and you're in the living room listening. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I just can't. Yeah. And and but they took they took what they what they built with those campaigns, and they made this animated series, and it was funny as shit. Mm-hmm. It was just great. It was poignant. It it had a lot of things that we're talking about fan service kind of things, you know, uh, D and D tropes and, and, and different stuff. It's not safe for work. It's not for kids. It's definitely what they're calling now adult animation. And I, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was hilarious. And, uh, Oh my gosh, what was the, the line that, that really cracked me up was make, was it make, make this mud and spit some healing shit. Something like that. It was like it was like the most off the cuff spell for a bard ever, and it just I I I had to I missed like three minutes of the show and had to rewind because I was laughing so hard. You know? <laughs> they got your number, Patrick. They got me. They got me so good. I mean, it, it, it's really really good and yeah. well worth your time. It's on Prime. Uh, there's one season. It's already done. I want to say there's like 13 episodes. They released it interestingly. They did uh, three episodes at a, at a time. You got three episodes every week for like four weeks. Cool. And then it was done. So cool. it's all there. Go check it out. Nice. Max, how about you? Um, well, I guess my pick of the week is a uh, sort of mixed reservation. Uh, well, actually, recommended with reservations. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. English is hard. Uh, it's a it's this video game called Chorus that I've been playing a lot of recently. It's a space fighter simulator for, I think, consoles. You can probably get it on PC, too. I have it on PS4 because... Uh, apparently you still can't buy a PS5 for love of money. And it's a great flying a fighter around in space and shooting at other people's flying fighters around in space game. And I really can't, I don't know why there aren't many games in this genre anymore. I think there are like a handful of more uh, sort of space roguelike kind of things that are emphasizing the flying around experience. But for re- really the, the, like the genre that I gravitated toward as a video gamer when I was a like kid. Wing and, commander sort of thing. Yeah, it was wing commander. Yeah. And, and you don't see a lot of wing commanders anymore. You don't see even the, uh, the sort of IRL like military simulators that you used to like F-18 Hornet or any of that. And it, the pacing is just so much fun. I love how a, I love how fighter games um, and, and, and flight sims or well, space fighter flight sims especially have a different relationship to enemies and challenge mm-hmm. than um, a sort of traditional cover shooter game. Yeah. Like if you think about a 
game like in the Uncharted series, for example, you're, you kill hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people as you're going through any given Uncharted game. Like the yeah. game does not shrink throwing 60 people at you at once. Nathan Drake emerges soaked in blood and guts and, uh, you know, make, making a, a witty one liner. Whereas a good fighter sim will put you up against three other ships and you're like, oh shit, I got to really think about this. What's going on? How do I dodge, duck and weave my way out of this? I got to line up my attack. It's, it becomes very, uh, very skill heavy mm-hmm. and you really invest in this thing that you're doing, which is, you know, directly engaging in combat with another real entity, you know, in this case, a virtually simulated entity, whatever, <laughs> in, in a spaceship it becomes personal in a way weirdly that shooting at a bunch of 3d models of nefarious henchmen aren't, you know, I find myself thinking about who are these guys who are flying around in these other fighters. So it's very cool and fun and, and, and thoughtful in that way. And there's no feeling like, I don't know, doing a weird barrel roll kind of space evasion move and, <laughs> yeah. and then coming up with it right on somebody's sex great style of game to play and it's very well executed the reservation is that the dialogue is extremely clunky <laughs> like it's it's just yeah I, you know god love them all your base are belong to them you know kind of uh, I, I would almost I, I would almost rather there's a point where one of the characters or the main character literally says my goals and needs are coming into alignment and <laughs> oh you know i look your I don't, therapist I'm, must support that Right, their therapist or like that's literally the the bubble note that came up in the comments from the studio about like this particular moment of narrative. I, I don't know, man. Um, I, I tend not to get too negative on on dialogue stuff because you know people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, I guess. But uh, it, this is a tremendous game. The the line by line just feels a little clunky. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Very cool. So check out Chorus if you're looking for the flight simulator that you've been you've been missing in a world of first person shooters. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm gonna try and make this quick because this is this is a this is a hell of an episode we got here. I am recommending another podcast. Uh, this one already is very well known. Uh, it's Lavar Burton Reads, and the particular reason why Lavar Burton Reads, which is generally good in all ways, period needs to be recommended this week is my my former student graduated several years ago Anna Maria Curtis won the LeVar Burton Reads writing contest in which Mr. Burton himself read and selected from many 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 entries different stories and chose the top three to actually produce on the pod and con- that's and, amazing I think yeah. I had her I think I was saying she was with she Alpha, was an alpha yeah, yeah. You, yeah you met her in oh, Alpha this great. would have been like yeah. I don't know six or seven years ago so yeah. Anna Maria oh, Curtis cool. is the last trip was yeah it was on february 21st i want to say it was the episode of the week for um for lavar burton reads and with all things that anna writes it is wry and heartbreaking and well-paced and and lyrical and gorgeous and you can find her other fiction in clark's world she's got a couple stories out from them so if you haven't already cracked the seal on lavar burton reads one what's wrong with you and two (laughs) you have things to look forward to like Anna Maria Curtis's The Last Truth or if you want to go a little bit back further uh, maybe Max Gladstone's A Kiss with Teeth that one's on there too all right speaking of you Max where can folks find you find The Last Exit and all their other good Gladstonian needs Thank you. Well, um, I have a website, which is www.maxgladstone.com. I guess there's an extra W there on the front of that. Um, And I'm 
occasionally on Twitter at Max Gladstone. And I have a Substack sort of blog-like newsletter where I write about fiction and and books that I am reading and other random things that occur to me, uh, which is at maxgladstone.substack.com uh, if you're sensing a theme here. At Last Exit, <laughs> you can find at friendly and unfriendly local bookstores and if they don't stock it, then maybe they're not even more mm-hmm. unfriendly than I suspected. Various anywhere, anywhere books are sold, uh, and uh, also in audio read by Natalie Nautis. I'm so glad that we got her to narrate. She's fantastic through the whole range of audio provisioners. <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks so much, Max. It was awesome having All you right. on. Great to be here. Thanks again for hosting. Welcome to March. Spring will be sprunging. Wait, springing? Eh, I don't know. But anyway, it's happening soon, and that means it's time for a new bumper. First on the agenda, Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle over at Beyond the Trope should be scratching their ears and wondering who's been talking about them. It's me! I've been talking about them here and in other places like Capricorn 42. Why? Because they have a pretty nifty little podcast. They talk to authors and artists just like we do and release episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. So if you subscribe to both our podcasts, it's like getting a double feature every week. In other news, I mentioned before Capricorn 42. That's because Tracy and I had a lot of fun there, especially spending time with several of our patrons. Becoming a patron doesn't just mean you get to hang out with us at conventions, although you might. It means also getting access to things like monthly hangouts, a patrons-only episode of the podcast every month, and even a private Facebook group where we talk about extra nerdy things. It's as close to the green room for the show as you can get without, you know, actually being in the green room. Check out patreon.com slash functionalnerds for more information about becoming a backer. What's next? Well, April, I guess, comes after March. I'll probably have to record another bumper. But that's easily days away, or more, who knows? (laughs) Time. Time is so stupid. Then there's ShyCon, the Worldcon in September, where we'll probably be there in person. It's likely, I mean, very likely, but depends on a lot of things, you know? So, I don't know. Anyway... Where did I put the link to the Hugo nomination ballot? I know I had it here somewhere. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. (laughs) That's probably a good enough signal.